Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, please. In chapter 14, we're going to look at verse 34 in a moment. The United States of America is a great, great nation. Would you say amen to that? In 220 years, I believe God has brought us further than many nations that have existed for over 2,000 years, don't you? I believe that, don't you? Think about it. In, in that short period of time, we have grown in numbers, we have grown in wealth, and we have grown in power. As a matter of fact, He has brought us to a place right now that we are recognized around the world as one of the greatest, if not the greatest powers and nations upon the face of this planet. That's something to say about our land, isn't it? There's something to be said for that, isn't there? As a matter of fact, so powerful that some demonically inspired world leaders even said, there's no way we can defeat the United States of America. As a matter of fact, trying to defeat them from without is useless. You just can't do it. They're too powerful. But there is a plan, and I know that Satan gave it to them, And that plan is this. If we can attack them inwardly from within, then we can have them destroy themselves. If we can attack their patriotism, if we can attack their morality and destroy the family, the home, and that that great institution, if we can attack them spiritually, then they will destroy themselves from within through division. The house divided can't stand. Well, beloved, I believe we need to be aware of that. You know, there was an alarming statement made to me one time about people that were gathered together in the name of Satan, thousands upon thousands of people praying for the demise of the Christian marriage and family. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Think about that. Sometimes you think about that and you wonder, my goodness, if they can gather like that, how much more should believers be gathering together to pray for and uphold that great institution called the family? Absolutely. The marriage. The marital relationship. Well, I believe that God is the one who has brought us to this place. I believe that God is the one who has made America great. Don't you? I believe the hand of the Lord has been upon this nation because it is the cradle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe there is a work that will be done by America in evangelizing the entire world. And you know what? I've got, I have broadened my vision. I don't know about you. I have enlarged my borders and my tents are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We are going to attack this thing as if we're the only church and God has instructed us to reach the world with the power of the gospel. You realize what that's going to take? How much that will involve? But you know what? We're up to the task. We have a mighty God. He's more than enough. He's in us. He's on our side, praise God. And we're going to do it for Jesus. That's how you have to look at it. There's a work to be done and we're the ones that have to do it. And we are going to get the job done through the power of God. 
In order for us to remain the great nation that God has made us, beloved, we need to know what it takes to make a, a nation great, and we also must recognize and defeat the evil forces that threaten the success of our land. And so, number one, I want to talk to you about what it really takes to make a nation great. And the first thing is, it's people. It's citizens. Let's read this verse together. In Proverbs 14, 34, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14, 34, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. What has made this nation great is the people, the citizens, the founders of our land, where number one, first and foremost, a God-fearing and a God-honoring people. What kind of people? God-fearing and God-honoring people make a nation great because they put God above everything else. And if you go back to those that signed our Declaration of Independence, 47 of the 56 signatures were by those that graduated from a Christian college, eight of which were in operation in this land and functioning before 1776. That's where education came from. Those are the principles upon which this nation was built. Biblical principles. People that loved God, that honored God, that feared God. They were people that put the things of God first and wanted to have a place, a land, a nation they could call their home in which God would be glorified and God would be honored in their midst. And as a result of their dedication and of their desire... I believe God worked with those mighty citizens and began the process of making this nation great. What kind of people? A freedom-loving people. People that didn't want to be in bondage and didn't want other people to be in bondage. They love freedom for themselves and they love freedom for all mankind and all other people. They recognize that God made all men equal to enjoy equal rights and equal privileges to experience the, the right to, to pursue life, liberty, justice, happiness, and all the things that give quality to life. Citizens, the people make the nation great because God can use God-fearing and freedom-loving people to accomplish His purposes. And so, beloved, if we want this nation to continue being great, we still have got to be a God-fearing, God-honoring, and freedom-loving people. Thirdly, what kind of people, what kind of citizen does it take to make a nation great? I believe a sacrificial living people. A sacrificial living people. Those that are willing to sacrifice precious blood to protect the freedoms that they have. And we know as a nation we have been challenged over the years by outside nations and outside forces and enemies. 
Yet we as a nation were willing to give up human lives. Why? To preserve and protect the freedoms that we have, that many others have lived and died for. Would to God that we can take that from a Christian perspective and say, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ died. He shed His blood so that you and I could be free from the power of sin, free from the power of sickness, free from the power of disease, free from the power of of financial failure, and free from the the power of low self-esteem, free from fear and anything that holds people in bondage. I believe that we should live our lives sacrificially and we should let people know we are willing to lay down our lives for the freedoms that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where are those that would say, I'd rather give my life than compromise and accept anything that God doesn't want into my life. But as a nation, can you see that we have sacrificed and we're always willing to sacrifice precious blood to preserve and protect the freedoms that we have in this land? Secondly, what makes a nation great? I believe what makes a nation great is the institutions that are established by the people or the citizens of the land. And beloved, no matter what people might say or think, I believe our government system is the best going. Aren't you glad you live in the the land of the free? This is the home of the brave. This is the land of the free. And you are free, thank God, indeed, because people gave their lives for your freedom. Aren't you glad you live in a democracy where your vote and your voice mean something in this land? You know, in communistic lands... The people, the individual is nothing, no one. The party is everything and all. But thank God, what you say counts. And what you say means something in this land. Thank God, you are a person of self-worth and self-importance. Because you live in a land that is free. Thank God for our government. And we should always pray, as the Word of God says, we should pray for those that are in official offices of leadership in this land. We should uphold them. Prayers and intercession, giving of thanks and supplication be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority. Why? That you live a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and and many would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's how the gospel is going to be spread. When there's peace in the land, the word goes forth in power, hearts are touched and lives are changed. And beloved, this is a free land. We've got peace and thank God we've got a voice and we can proclaim the power of the gospel to change human lives. Aren't you glad for that? There are places in the world where you can't go in and preach and teach Jesus like we can. We should be so enthusiastic about what we have, beloved, we should make the whole world jealous. Oh, I think it's time to do it. It's time to make everybody around us jealous because of what we have in God. I was jealous of what one of my brothers had in the Lord when I saw his life one day when I just got saved and I saw what he had. What he had, I wanted. I said, what he had, I wanted. He made me jealous with the right kind of jealousy. I wanted more of God because of what I saw in him. And when people see you, they should want more of God because they see God in you. We should all be that way. Amen? The government. And what about the institution of the home? Thank God for the home. The home, as far as I'm concerned, the family is the backbone of the nation. It's the backbone of the church. It is. Can you see why Satan wants to attack the family? If he can weaken 
the family, he can bring destruction to the whole church, to the whole nation, to the work of God. Yes, the family is under an attack, but I'm telling you what, we're not sitting back anymore. We're rising up. We're going forward. I'm telling you, the work of God is being done in changing hearts and touching lives and family units, bringing restoration to marriages and families coming together and harmonious love. Children, once again, being obedient to their parents and the Lord honoring them, knowing that it will be well with them and they'll live long on the earth if they will. And we can go on and name all the institutions that make a nation great because of the people that are committed to God. When you have the right government, when you have the right understanding of the home and its place in society and in the nation and in the church. And you've got your businesses, you've got your school, you've got all those, the church, the church. Oh, thank God for the church. The church and the freedom the church has in this land. There are some places where you can't meet together and have church. But not in America. We can gather ourselves together. We can hang up our sign. And we can say, we believe in the Father. We believe in the Son. We believe in the Holy Ghost. And raise a blood-stained banner that was shed for our redemption. And we can declare what we believe boldly and loudly. And nobody can stop us. Hallelujah. Say amen. Glory to God. Aren't you glad for the land in which you live? Let's get excited. Let's be enthusiastic. The church is vibrant and alive in America. Amen. What an institution. God had a good thought, didn't He? He's the one that thunk it up. He did. It was the thought of God. God thought it. Jesus brought it. And the Holy Ghost wrought it. And that's all there is to it. All these contribute to making America great. And three, number three, and this is the final one, but this is the one I really want to focus in on. What makes a nation great is when the people of the land... See, we're talking about people, citizens. Citizens that are God-fearing. Citizens that are freedom-loving. Citizens that are sacrificial living. Citizens that have the right institutions. And citizens that are righteous. Citizens, the people of the land are righteous. When the people of the land are righteous, God is able to exalt that nation. Look at that verse again. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And my margin says to any nation. To any nation. Righteousness exalteth a nation. It lifts it up. It gives it a place of dignity and a place of honor. And when the people of the land decide to be righteous before God and live holy, righteous lives before God, God is able to exalt the people. God is able to exalt the land. And God is able to do a great and mighty work among those people. But where there is sin, there is a reproach to any nation, any people, and any land. So young people out there, I want you to listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Because... You, should Jesus tarry, are going to have to be able to identify and defeat the evils that threaten your freedoms in this land. Sin is a reproach to any nation, any people, any land. And number one, one of the evils that will threaten what God is doing in America is atheism. Atheism. People that believe that God doesn't exist. Or people 
that exclude God out of their thinking, out of their planning, and out of their lives. You know, those kind of people will try to influence other people so that that influence continues and continues and continues. All that is an ungodly mindset injected into someone's thought life by Satan himself to make people think that God does not exist and so you can rule him out of your life, of your plans, of your thinking because he's not there. And a lot of people are duped into thinking that. Secondly, materialism. Everybody say materialism. That means living your life to get things motivated in your heart. Where your heart treasure is, there is your heart also. We just want to get, we live to get things. That's what it's all about. It's a rat race. It's a dog-eat-dog world. But you've got to get out there and you've got to get your things. And if you can't do it on one income, you better get two incomes. It doesn't matter what happens to the family. It doesn't matter how many hours that you work. Just get, 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 get. As much as you possibly can. Materialism is a threat to the freedoms that we have. It puts people in bondage. It, it brings pressures upon their lives financially. And what ends up happening is it destroys the family. Can you see what its underlying purpose is? And then, not only materialism, but socialism. Socialism. Oh, people would love that. To live in a socialistic society where all the wealth is evenly spread and distributed among all the people. Right, so we can reward the lazy and penalize the hard-working one. You see where that comes from? Socialism. And there's secularism. What is secularism? Take God out of government and take God out of the school. Take God out. Take God out. Take God out. Take God out. This idea of separation between church and state. Says who? Go back to our founding fathers. Go back to when the Constitution was written. Go back to all the statements that were made by those great men that loved God, that were God-fearing and God-honoring. You know, Thomas Jefferson once said that as, as far as our freedoms are concerned, eternal vigilance is the cost or the price of freedom. That means if you want your freedom, young people, if you want your freedom when you have your children and your children are growing up, should Jesus tarry, you've got to be vigilant. As the Bible says, you've got to realize you have an enemy out there. You've got to be alert. You've got to be aware. You've got to know your enemy. You've got to be able to identify him and understand what he is trying to do to undermine what God wants for your life. You've got to recognize it and you've got to be able to deal with it through the power of God. Vigilance. Always being on guard. Always being alert. Always being aware. Because whether we realize it or not right now, sitting in our comfortable place, there are forces out there trying to destroy what we have in this land. And if those powers are out there right now, banding together to see to it, they can destroy patriotism and bring in immorality and destroy our spirituality, they'll succeed in bringing this nation to its knees from within. But I've got some good news for you. That is not about to happen. Everybody say, no, it won't happen. Because of us. And we're getting to that in a moment. But what about humanism? Humanism, everybody say humanism. Humanism is an enemy. It is an evil that is out there threatening what we have as believers in this great land in which we live. What is humanism? 
injecting the thought or the idea into the minds of people that you and yourself are God. You're God. Don't sleep, parents. It's getting into our high schools. It's already in our colleges. People are being taught. You don't have to obey your parents because you are an entity in yourself. You and your wishes and your desires and your thoughts are what really count in your life because you are your own God. Oh my goodness, can you imagine that? God is no bigger than my brain. Can you imagine that? God is no bigger than my brain. What I think is right. You know what that promotes? You know what that gives birth to? Abortions and euthanasia. Well, it's your life, it's your body, and you can do what you want to do. Do you take that life, that child, that unborn child's life, or take that elderly person's life, let them die if they want to die? Wait a minute. My Bible says, no, God is the giver of life. My Bible says that you don't belong to yourself, but you belong to God. God made you from the beginning, and if you're a child of God, He bought you with the blood of Jesus. And you don't have a right to kill, you don't have a right to take your life, and you are not God. God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than our ways and higher than our thoughts. He thinks bigger than we are. He knows much more than we do. He is smarter and wiser than we are. And we should not play God. Especially if you think that you're limited to yourself as being God. My goodness, what limitations we set on ourselves. And what about alcoholism and the threat it it, it produces? And drug addiction. And all these... See, people think it's it's just... you know, just something out there to do, just to escape reality, whatever. I have fun. To... Listen to me. It's a strategy of Satan to get you so disturbed in your life that you think you've got to turn to something like an addiction like that just to get by in life. What do you want to give your beautiful life over to something like that for? That's going to bring destruction to your personal life. It's going to bring destruction to your family life. It's going to set a, a bad example for your children's lives, and they're going to think that's what life is all about. It's time to say no to these things. It's time to overcome these things. It's time to rise up above these things. It's time to get people's lives cleaned up. I'm telling you, I'm calling calling upon the name of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb to flow so freely to get these people that have been bound up and delivered and set free by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to clean them lives up so they can go back in their homes and be a husband to their wives or a wife to their husband and a father and a mother to their children so that when the children come home from school, they don't see somebody that's just zoned out because of what they've been on. Hey, this preaching is better than you're shouting right now. I'm telling you, this is all truth. Our eyes have got to be open and we have got to see. Amen. These are strategies of the enemy to bring evils into human life for the purpose of destroying what God is doing. And finally, what about those evil forces of darkness that are out there? What about the strategies of Satan that are out there? Evil forces are lurking behind every corner to do anything and everything they possibly can to stop what's taking place. Do we not know this is the cradle of the gospel? Do we not know we are evangelizing the world? Can you understand that? When we understand that, we know that we are Satan's number one target of attack. I have got to destroy what's happening in America because there's funds, there's money to fund the gospel, to send missionaries out there into the highways and byways of life to let people know that have never heard the gospel that Jesus loves them and died for them to reach the unreached and tell the untold the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for them. It takes money to fund the gospel. And you know what? God has laid up, thank God, the wealth of the sinner for the just. 
It's getting into our hands. And, and I've got a vision that we're going to reach the world for Jesus. Are you with me, saints? I'm not talking about industry. I'm not talking about Ohioville. I'm not talking about just Midland or East Liverpool or Shippingport or Beaver or Beaver Falls or Chippewa. I'm talking about all the world. God wants us to reach out to all the world and make a difference. Are you with me? Can we do it? Yes, we're going to have a revival here, but we are going to be known for those that are reaching out, sending people out into the highways and byways of life. Missionaries, if we've got to fund it ourselves, we'll have the resources to do it. You know why we'll have the resources to do it? Because I say every day, thank you, Father God, for our daily bread, our daily portion, our resources, the supplies that we need to fund the gospel, not only here, but out there, everywhere. We're looking to get people hooked up, send them out there in the missionary fields and say, yes, we can do it. We can do it. There are people out there right now that are in these lands that are getting saved, leaders that are out there right now. It doesn't take much to to pay them so that they don't have to work and they can take to their own country the good news of the gospel. God's going to show those people to us and we're going to fund it. We're going to support them. We're going to help set them free. Are you with me? Is your vision big? Hey, if we're going to dream, let's dream big. I said years ago when we were way down there in Midland that we are a, a family church, a word teaching center, and a world outreach center. And I'm still believing that with all my heart. Evil forces. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other, but against principalities and powers and the uh, spiritual wickedness and darkness of this world. That's what we're fighting against. But you know what? Greater is he is who is in us than he that is in the world. He is a defeated foe. Everybody say to me, Satan is defeated. Jesus is Lord. He made an open show of Satan and all powers of darkness. He has given us power and authority over all the power of the enemy and to cure diseases, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to open up the eyes of the blind. The lame will walk. The deaf will hear. God said it. I believe it. Amen. Isn't that the gospel? Why make it hard? That's the gospel. And that's the gospel he wants us to continue preaching in this land. And we will praise God. Now, in the, this, this Proverbs here again. The second part. What's going to keep us a great nation? As I just said. Unveiling or understanding, knowing, recognizing the evils that are threatening what we have. But secondly, Righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. I want to show the importance of righteousness. Righteousness exalteth a nation. Go with me to Genesis, if you would please, chapter 18. Righteousness exalteth a nation. Say it again, righteousness. Righteousness exalteth a nation. And that is our nation. This is our nation. This is our land. You know, there was a time when people burned their draft cards. There was a time when people rebelled against all figures of authority. I'm telling you, those days are long gone. Those days are over. We're reaping some of the effects of that, but I'm telling you something, those days are long gone and they are over because we're making a marked difference. We're going to instill in young people's lives. We have a vision for young people. And that vision includes let them know who God is. To get them on fire to God, to love them with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and instill in them a love and a respect for all figures of authority. That includes their parents, That includes their teachers. That includes their government officials. Whoever it is. That includes the police officers. 
Amen. That includes everyone who is a figure of authority. We're instilling within these young people those understandings and ideas of truth given to them by the Father. This is a form of righteousness that they have got to live by. And as a result, we're going to see changes take place in our land. But in Genesis chapter 18, I am not a prophet of doom and gloom. I don't believe there should be any prophets of doom and gloom. I believe that we should believe the Scriptures and be people of faith. I believe in Genesis chapter 18, we have a revelation of what it's going to take for God to do a work in this land, a greater work than what He's already doing in this land. You know what that is? The understanding of righteousness. The understanding of righteousness. In this particular chapter, we have Abraham, who is the father of us all, interceding on the behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah because God Almighty has revealed to him how he is going to destroy the land. I have heard so many people say that God is going to wipe out America. God is bringing his hand of judgment down on America. And America is going to, and and, and all the negative and all the doom and all the gloom. I've got some news for you. God needs America. God needs the word to go forth in power. America is evangelizing the world. Yes, there are the bad points and the bad qualities. But you know what? The good outweigh the bad. And I'll show that to you right here. In these verses of Scripture, look at verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said to God, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? You know how how ungodly Sodom and Gomorrah was the masses and the multitudes of people that were involved in practices that we can't even mention and talk about publicly yet that was their ungodly lifestyle that's the way they lived their lives in unrighteousness unholiness ungodliness and untruth but you know what for 50 people that were righteous in the land God would spare the whole land for 50 righteous well there weren't 50 righteous in the land And so he kept bargaining with God and get it down to verse 32. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and will I, and I will speak yet this once, peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten righteous sake. Those cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. With all the immorality and all the ungodliness that was taking place, God said, for ten righteous, I will not destroy the land. He'll stay his hand of judgment. He'll extend his hand of mercy. And I believe a revival could have taken place. But there were not ten righteous to be found. Righteousness exalteth a nation. I read somewhere in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, somewhere in that vicinity where it says, He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Raise your hand if you've been born again, washed in the blood, and you're the righteousness of God in Christ. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. we got more than 50 here. There's more than 10 righteous in the land. There's more than 50 righteous in the land. I saw somewhere almost a million righteous were standing in Washington, D.C., you know, believing God in prayer for our great nation. And I can go on and say more than that. 
There's more than 50 righteous in this land. And beloved, because of the righteous that are in this land, praise God, God is not going to destroy America. God is going to extend His hand of mercy and we are going to band together. We're going to pray for our land. We're going to pray for our government officials. And we're going to believe that God will send forth a national righteousness. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 7. And I'll close it with this verse. Second Chronicles chapter 7. This is, by the way, the, the verse that is being used. Rebecca St. James, New Tour. Of course, my son informed me of that. But this is the verse, and I hadn't realized it until he told me it, but it was already here, listed, many years ago. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And as I read this, the Lord just had some, some words jump out at me, and it just blessed me. In verse 14 it says, If my people... Everybody say, my people. My See, God said, if my people. Say it again, God's people. God. Say, we are God's people. God. Notice, if my people, which are called by my name... Anybody here a Christian? Then you're called by the name of God. You are a Christian, a Christ-like man, a Christ-like woman. If my people, which are called by my name... My name should humble themselves. Everybody say, myself. See, my people, by my name, humble themselves. Not their president. Not their governor. Themselves. If my people that are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, isn't that what it says? And seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Whose wicked ways? He's not talking about the leaders of the... Their ways. If my people that are called by my name would humble themselves and begin to pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. When's God going to hear when the people that are righteous in the land look to God and say, Father God, we're sorry for being so lackadaisical about the things of God in our country. We repent of all the negative words we have spoken about our president. We repent for having a light attitude about those that are in positions of leadership. We repent for our own attitudes and the way we have presented ourselves in our own nation. Father God, we believe we can make a difference. We're going to uphold our president no matter what his name is. We're going to support him and believe you'll touch his heart and touch his mind. And those that are involved in getting prayer back in school, we believe, dear Father God, that you'll touch these hearts, you'll touch these minds, you'll work a work, you're going to do something because we are going to follow the steps of righteousness. We're going to pray. We're sorry for being so full of doubt and unbelief and giving place to all this stuff and being what? overtaken by all these isms that are out there in the world. Materialism, alcoholism, drug addiction, and immorality and all that. Father God, we are turning our face towards You. And Father God, we're getting our knees and we're going to pray. And we're upholding this great land in which we live. We know lies were given for the freedoms that we have and it was all based on You. And we believe, dear Father God, that it's up to You who have brought us to this place of freedom to do something about our leadership right now. We want God back in government. We want God back in school. We want God back in all of our institutions. 
in this great nation in which we live. Can you say amen? Yes. Hallelujah. That's what we want. And so, Father, we repent for the way we've been. And he said, if you'll do that and seek my face, I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin. What's the latter part of the verse say? I will heal your flesh. God doesn't want to destroy America. God wants to heal America. He wants to heal America. Oh, he wants to do a great and mighty work. And beloved, I believe he's in the process of doing it right now because you talk about hungry hearts, young people's lives. We're talking about, should Jesus tarry, teenagers that are the, the, the future working of God's power in the earth tomorrow. I'm telling you something. They're at work right now, but I'm talking about in, in progression. They're at work right now. God is moving. God is moving upon young people's lives right now. I mean, they're coming in by the droves. You know, we just got wind of what's going, up, going to take place up in... A, uh, Pontiac, Michigan, the Silverdome up there. What is the event? Day one. And they're gathering together. Now, how much does that hold? 80-some to 90,000 youth are gathering together for one of the greatest explosions of, of God's power among young people in our generation. That's coming up in next April. Can you imagine? You know, I've been up there. I took Jason, my son, he wanted to go up there to a football game when he was, when Barry Sanders and the Detroit Lions and the whole story and all that sort of thing on a Thanksgiving day and we took a ride up there and, and all that. I'm looking forward to seeing teenagers fill that place. I'm looking forward to seeing young people be so full of God in that place. That thing might float away. I expect great and mighty things, don't you? God's at work among young people. God is at work in all areas of life. God is doing a mighty work right now. And we should be praying, open up our eyes so we can see what you're doing in the earth today. God's doing a great work right here. I know He is. And praise God, we've got a wonderful, wonderful group of people that have assembled themselves together called the Church of, 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 of the Living Christ right here in this locality. And I believe He has brought you here for a reason. He has brought you here for a purpose. And we want to make the vision plain. And I'll tell you what, you see your, anybody see a new bulletin? The front of that bulletin, it says, write the vision and make it plain. You see the new logo? Anybody like the new logo? Write the vision and make it very plain. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're writing the vision and we're going to hand it out to you. We're going to have a, a whole church congregational meeting. I've got a lot of things to share with you about what God is doing here in our midst. A lot of changes that are going to be taking place. You need, I need to write the vision and make it plain so you can see and run with it, praise God. And we're going to do it. And we're going to evangelize our world is what I'm saying. We're starting right here in our own land. We're going to pray for the United States of America and our government system and believe that God will do great and mighty things in this place. And I'm done preaching, so come up here around this altar and let's pray. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.